1: Good morning, I'm Ellie Weiss, and you're listening to Our Wild World. There has been a lot of news and headlines and on social media about human bear conflicts and the typical response by city and state parks and wildlife, that human health and safety comes first, that relocating bears creates further conflict, especially for the bears, and that oftentimes the bears are killed, simply removed from the landscape. There has long been a need to address human wildlife conflict in non-lethal ways and leave the bears alive within their landscape, while at the same time educating the local communities of their responsibilities in the partnership of living with the wild. Today, my guest is Nils Petterson of the Wind River Bear Institute and their Karelian Bear Dogs, a wholly different, non-lethal approach to human-bear conflict that addresses the root of the problems of conflicts in human communities and leaves the bears alive. Nils is the director at the Wind River Bear Institute in Fairbanks, Alaska, with a master's in wildlife bot biology, and Karelian bear dog trainer. So without much further ado, let's just say hi Nils and welcome. Hi. Hi there. How are you today? I'm doing good. Good. So we're talking to you in Fairbanks, Alaska. I would like you to give us a little bit of background about you and um, how you came to be with the bear dogs and the Wind River Bear Institute because this is fascinating, living in a place where we have bear conflict every day and a lot of bears are removed. What the bear dogs do and what the Wind River Bear Institute does is an amazing switch. Tell us about yourself.
2: Yeah, um, well, I would say probably the first uh, first time I was aware of any um, utility for dogs in non-lethal bear deterrence would have been uh, seeing a photograph that my grandpa had on his wall, um, he was a polar explorer, and he, uh, he used Greenland Huskies up in the Arctic to get around, and he had a photograph of one of his Greenland Huskies, Bamsa, uh dancing with a polar bear um, that was on his wall. And so, in that photograph, an understanding from my grandpa that you know, one thing they would do in some of these remote camps was use the dogs to deter polar bears. Um, was something I was very much aware of in my young life and uh and so when I got older and got interested more interested in dogs in my mid twenties, um kind of the first dog I had in my adult life was some kind of a Caribbean bear dog cross that I picked up in Fairbanks, Alaska and during that time I was working on the Yukon River doing fish work and having that dog in fish camp was, uh, really, you know, really valuable, um, in many different ways. and started to understand the utility of these working dogs. And, and then I lost that dog. Um, I found myself in Montana looking for another currently Bear dog and recognized that at that time, the wind river bear Institute was located just south of Missoula there down the Bitterroot. So I began volunteering there and, uh, met Carrie hunt, the uh, founder and director at the time. And, uh, uh, never really looked back <laughs> started working on a grizzly bear project uh that next summer and came to find out that soledad one of the young was there needed a trainer and handler and so started training um with soledad and uh since then let's see gosh that was in 2011 um uh, 2014 i started a master's degree at the university of alaska fairbanks and completed that this past year uh Uh, all about human bear conflict in the arctic um grizzly bear human conflicts on the oil fields on the north slope there and then uh looking at methods for detecting (coughs) um polar bear and grizzly bear dens so using infrared equipped drones and dogs as a way of finding these dens so that industry groups can avoid them when they're doing seismic or oil exploration work and uh yeah, so that was kind of my, my how wow. I got into this kind of work. That, that's so. really
1: exciting. And I mean, you just mentioned a few issues that hadn't occurred to me and i'm sure don't occur to most people when they think of dogs and bears um you know the polar bear conflict your grandfather's dog dancing with the polar bear and thinking that how these dogs can work with polar bears not just black bears and grizzly bears so um and you said soledad soledad is your dog right
2: that's right she's my nine-year-old female
1: So, tell us what the program, the Wind River Bear Institute does. Why it's so different than other parks and wildlife programs of hazing and interacting and resolving human-bear conflict, because the Wind River Bear Institute has a whole different attitude about bears in the landscape, and then tell us why these dogs are so special. Yeah,
2: sure thing. Uh, To back up, you know, the Wind River Bear Institute was founded by Carrie Hunt, and Carrie is uh, actually the, the person who developed bear spray in the 1980s uh, as part of her master's degree under Chuck Jonkel there at the University of Montana. And uh, so she tested what is now considered to be you know, the non-lethal bear deterrent, um, probably the most uh, influential and important contribution to the world of non-lethal bear deterrents of our time, uh, because bear spray allows everybody to stand their ground and have the confidence to you know, a charging bear. Um, I think it saved just, you know, an uncountable number of bear lives, uh, throughout the years. Um, so, you know, Carrie is part of this from the beginning. I mean, in the world of non-lethal and deterrence, she was, um, kind of at the forefront and Carrie, you know, had been working with bears by the time she had started the wind river bear Institute for many years and seen a lot of bears relocated. A lot of bears killed a lot of bears, um, just doing the same, basically doing the same thing in an endless cycle of destruction, and she was sick and tired of it, and looking for other ways, and she knew that bears could learn, knew that they were very trainable animals, and, you know, thought it was really sad that here we are basically training these really intelligent animals to come into our areas, and then, you know, baiting them in, and then killing them for coming in, and, uh, she started looking into other avenues like hazing, aversive um, conditioning, the use of non lethal projectiles, basically riot control rounds like beanbags and rubber bullets. And then ultimately kind of going uh, down that path led her to the Karelian bear dock that uh, she became aware of uh, for a couple of reasons. There was a prominent biologist who was doing work in Svalbard, Norway, and had been using Caroleans to deter polar bears from around his hut and uh, She's also aware of another dog that saved a man's life, a biologist's life in Finland. Uh, when he was, well, I believe it was his partner was attacked by a, a, a brown bear that they were releasing, and their trailing bear dog, they had with them, they let go, and he got the bear off the man and, you know, saved the man's life and probably saved the bear's life, too. Uh, so, Carrie Hunt recognized um, how these dogs could be used and started developing methods for putting them to work, uh, working with bears. And the idea from the get-go was that, you know, uh, using these dogs, using non-lethal deterrents and other preventative methods, but also uh, educating the public and uh, working with agency and industry and uh, members of the public, that uh, putting this all together uh, could, could develop a holistic approach to, um, basically retraining these these bears, and the motto of the Wind River Bear Institute was teach your wildlife well, and, uh, you know, what that means is that instead of teaching these animals to come into our areas and forage on our garbage and inevitably lead to their destruction, let's, you know, let's get that attractants cleaned up, get the garbage out of the equation, totally secure from bears, and then train these bears how to uh, avoid human-occupied space and ultimately uh, teach them how to move, how to navigate the terrain um, so that we can continue to coexist. Uh, you know, lethal, using lethal removal or relocation uh, typically just leaves a void open for another bear to move into that area if the attractants are not um, you know, very similar to how bears would uh, avoid a big bear. At a popular fishing stream, you know they let the big bear fish until the big bear leaves. Then the little bears will come out and use that good fishing hole. Um, bears aren't territorial in the sense that you know, like wolves, they don't avoid each other's territory. They will use their other bears' territory if they're not there. Same with same with people. Um, you know, in regard to their proximity to people, if the people aren't around, the bears will use that area, that campground in the shoulder season or what have you. Um, But they can learn that when people are there, uh, they need to be avoiding that area.
1: So when you talk about training the bears, we're not talking about captivity or training in that sense to do things. We're talking about giving the bears, training the bears mentality that this is a place they should not be. Tell us about the training. How does this work? Um, from the research that I've done, I understand the Bear Institute is presented with a problem. There's a community that has problem bears, and they call you. Then what happens?
2: Yeah, so you know to get to get to your question about training a wild bear. Uh, that's a you know great question because um, you can't train them in the same way you would train a dog or a captive bear. The world of um, conditioning, of operant conditioning. Um, You know, you have a number of tools at your disposal, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. And the the fact is, we're not able to use a whole lot of positive reinforcement with these bears because, of course, uh, you know, the bear comes into a campground, we push it out of that campground, we can't then throw it a treat uh, or a snake (laughs) or something uh, as a reward for it doing the right thing. What we can do is use um, punishment and negative reinforcement. And what that means is that uh, when the bear does the wrong thing, we can apply uh, an uncomfortable or painful stimulus such as pressure, barking dogs, pursuit, rubber bullets, you know, as a bite, beanbags as a bite. Um, But then when the bear does the right thing, when it returns, you know, to the forest, to the green area where it's supposed to be, we can use what what's called negative reinforcement, which is we remove the painful or uncomfortable stimulus from the bear, and so that's using the combination of those two um, tools. We're able to begin to condition these bears, and what we do um, it's a form of aversive conditioning that we've come to call bear shepherding, and. This is a highly structured uh, form of aversive conditioning where we target specific individual bears on the landscape, generally females uh, that occupy discrete home ranges and uh, are rearing cubs, of course, as well. Um, and we focus on those, on those females that either have radio collars or nowadays we have GPS collars we can use and use that in combination with the dogs to find these bears every morning before anyone gets up and make sure that they're in a good spot and make sure that they're doing the right thing. And by doing this in a consistent manner, you know, the bear comes into the, we'll call it the red zone, the campground, say, the area where the people are, you can push that bear out, get it going. We use the dogs to find it using uh, detection from the back of the truck. They'll strike from the back of the truck. We have specifically um, modified trucks that uh, the dogs are able to scent out of. They'll bark, indicate where the bear is, well, we can kind of do passes if we need, or if it's in a bad spot we can push it we work our dogs almost exclusively on leash um so if you need to get the dogs out we're working them on leash and walking a bear out of the area that it shouldn't be always moving that bear at bear speed we call it we don't want a bear frantic and panicked running for its life we need this bear to see that you know we're in between the campground and and the bear and it's going to be really hard for the bear to come this way and really easy for it to go back into the forest and uh I just walk that bear out of the area. By doing this consistently and working with females that are producing cubs, those females then train their cubs how to do the same thing, what the rules are, how to move. And uh, over the years, you know, what we've seen is in the places where we're doing this long-term, we start to generate a new um, generation of bears, even grizzly bears that are, you know, making the right moves. The cubs learn this from their mom. They know humans aren't a source of food. Um, you know, they're not getting the garbage because we've got the, the track rooms managed. We're working with the public at the time doing education and outreach work um, during the day. You know, over time, we develop a generations of bears that know how to do the right thing. And this can apply to many different landscapes. You know, we've been most successful certainly in parks. We've worked in almost all the major national parks in North America. Uh, a program in Japan that's quite successful as well. You know, these are either national parks or state parks, provincial parks, and uh, these are areas where the bears should be. So it's kind of an easy sell. And anybody, we <laughs> want the bears there, and people want to be able to see bears there. Um, now, working with industry groups on public lands uh, can be quite a bit more challenging. Oftentimes, that's you know more kind of bear guarding work with a high emphasis on safety and uh, and then bear deterrence physically displacing bears out of areas, sweeping out uh, work areas before work begins. And if it's on privately owned land, there's huge emphasis on education, outreach, Um, in some cases even going door-to-door, talking with private landowners about um, their attractive management and the reasons why we're doing what we do. And, uh, you know, otherwise, public land is a lot of attractive management. That's probably the biggest deal. And, uh, you know, at at the Wind River Bear Institute, you can check us out on website www.beardogs.org um a lot of information on there about what we do and how we approach these kinds of situations but um and even when we're working door-to-door um private lands we're you know we're all wildlife biologists that have a strong emphasis in science education and um talking with the public public engagement um our you know all the principles that we use are rooted in science and scientific literature so um You know, we're more than happy to talk about what's out there, what we have seen, what's effective, what's not effective. Um, And then, you know, with the dogs, they don't always necessarily fulfill this role as, you know, barking and pushing, chasing the bear. Oftentimes, they're conversation starters. They indicate to people that we're here to use non-lethal means, and, um, you know, they start conversations whether people think it's neat that they're bear hunting dogs or think that people think that these do- it's great that these dogs are saving uh, the lives of bears. Um, you know, the dogs really get a lot of conversation started. And, and a lot of the programs that we have out there with officers, you know, folks doing enforcement or biologists in the field, you know, I think that the dogs go a long way towards, um, you know, just uh, getting conversations started about bear awareness, their safety and, uh, and attracting management bottom line. The truth is, you know, Attractants are everywhere. If garbage is ubiquitous and nobody's doing a good job of handling, uh, managing their attractants, the the dogs are going to be running around all day (laughs) chasing bears because, you know, you're you're not going to be effective is what I'm trying to say.
1: Right. Well, you've covered a lot of major points that we're going to dig into a little bit more because what's, Great. um, what's kind of missing here and what we need to dig into is the actual visuals of you with the dogs and, and how they, and how the dogs work. You mentioned, um, a conditioning and, uh, shepherding and chasing and hazing and, um conditioning itself, you know, and attractants. So uh, folks, visit the Wind River Bear Institute uh, online and definitely read a lot of what they're doing and stick with us because we're going to be right back with a lot more information.
0: W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's one 866 472 If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
1: And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss with my guest Nils Petterson with the Wind River Bear Institute. So in our first section here we covered a lot of information and I'm sure my listeners now have a good visual of somebody out there walking a dog on a leash and um, talking to communities but we're we're not quite sure what actually takes place. Uh, you're not forest rangers you're not park personnel you're an independent institute that is typically called in to deal with bear conflict in a place either by an agency as you'd said working um in in the parks and the whole goal is to reduce the conflict and you use the word training wild bears to learn that human areas are not good places to be when humans are inhabiting them. So how do we visualize... I guess the biggest point here is that this is not a one-step thing where um, a, a Parks and Wildlife guy comes in, beanbags the bear, and leaves. Or comes in, sets a trap, traps the bear, relocates it, and leaves. You guys have a very long working process to work with these bears and the communities so let's start with because you'd mentioned attractants and this is the biggest issue period people not taking care and being responsible of attractants but let's go back and take us through an exercise with the dogs and you know in terms of conditioning or hazing and getting a bear t- to to move away over a period of time out of a campground let's say
0: Yeah. So
2: you you mentioned some good stuff there. Uh, that's right. We're not, we're not rangers. We're not, um, officers. We are wildlife biologists. We're an independent group that's been doing this since the mid nineties. Um, so for the past 24 years, we've developed a lot of the techniques and methods that are in use today in national parks and other places, um, as part of their bear management plans and bear conflict indexes. The thing I should mention there though, is that we do work closely with agency. We always, um, you know, have their, uh, have their blessing to do the work that we do. And it's often the agency is interested in um, collaborating with us to, to find other ways. And, uh, and you know, it's often also the public, uh, members of the public that are, you know, concerned citizens and sick of seeing bears having to be lethally managed that, uh, you know, they request us or um, are interested in, br- in bringing on something else. Um, and so, you know, with that, Typically, the interest in is the dogs, and the dogs um, I, I would just put out there should be thought of as, as a tool in the management toolbox. They're not the, you know, the silver bullet that's going to end all bear conflict. Um, and so, it's but important not, to they're so not poli-
1: They're not police dogs. They're not guard. dogs. They are not police.
2: Dogs. So they're, no, tell us not. These what these dogs are forbidden. They're forbidden to be human aggressive. They are um, very good with the public. These are dogs that can chase a grizzly bear off a playground and then inside the elementary school and
1: visit with the kids so they're very socialized and your dog sold well. and and their breeding yeah. and their genetics is is very closely um, monitored and worked to get the best um, personality and traits out of these dogs so tell us a bit more about why these dogs are so special why they're such an engagement tool and um for the communities and when we use the word tool it sort of brings to mind that they're not your friends you guys live with these dogs they're not only your best friends but they're your collaborators companions and your working partners
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right so um you know a little bit of background on the Karelian bear dog it's an ancient breed you know fossil records going back 10,000 plus years with a kind of a dog like this in in northern europe and uh you know, this dog was supposed to really perform four functions to, you know, to feed on pests around your house, to hunt for themselves and um, feed themselves, to pull a sled or a skier, um, protect your family from, from wildlife, and uh, and also to be able to hunt. And these dogs do when they hunt, they track silently when they're on a track. Um, very good scent dogs. When they have their game, they pursue it and bark at it. And so as a hunter, you would listen for that barking, and the dog is going to be baying uh, the animal. They will hunt just about anything, but are especially good at hunting large game, like moose or brown bear. Um, you know, select few of them are able to do brown bear. Uh, so it's important to pick the right dog for the job, um, but the dog is going to want to hold the animal for you. It bays it, nips at its heels, gets it to turn, eventually just is going to hold that animal. As a hunter, you come and track down your dog that's barking, and track down your, your game. So we're using these dogs in a different way. We're using these dogs, you know, almost exclusively on lead to push animals out of bad places. We're testing every single litter and selecting the best dogs uh, for the job. It's typically about 20% of a litter of curly and bear dogs is going to be a good working wildlife canine is the terminology we've come to use now. We've bred these dogs to be highly socialized and they were, you know, have that good temperament anyway, um, as a breed, and uh, we were also breeding these dogs for for work, for bear conflict work. And um, that means that these dogs not only need to be really good with people, very engaging, um, but also quite aggressive towards bears and communicating towards the bear through their bark, through their uh, posturing, and um, their intention that they want to get that bear. And that uh, is very effective, not only towards bears, but also other species of wildlife like cougar
1: and moose so the handler and their dog have to really be in tune with each other so you've you you guys live with each other 24 7 and your dog is a, a companion and you were talking about um shepherding and hazing and aversion conditioning and that most of this work is done on lead, on leash. And um, within some of the research and what we were talking about the other day, preparing for this program, you were talking about that it takes a minimum of two dogs. And what they do, and I want to highlight here, when you're talking about hunting, this was how Karelian bear dogs would be used to end up with a kill. You're using them to end up to keep a bear alive. So you talked about shepherding and that it takes Minimum of two dogs and what they do versus let's say a scent dog or hounding for cougars they take opposite sides of the animal and they kind of maneuver you called it dancing or shepherding versus fighting and hazing let's let's talk about that for a little bit how the dogs actually do what they do, you'd mentioned that they nip at the heels, they bark, and they tree the bear or the lion or, or the target species that you're working with so that you guys can come up and do what?
2: Getting back to this idea of the dogs being a management tool, um, you're, you're absolutely right that <laughs> referring to them as a tool is not quite appropriate because these are truly family members of ours and our best friends and working partners. and. Uh, you know, we don't, we work our own dogs. We work the dogs that we train and handle. Um, and with the folks that we place dogs with, officers, biologists, and human bear conflict specialists working in the field, uh, you know, we place these dogs with people, not with government agencies. Uh, they belong to people. And that's really important because Australian bear dogs are highly sensitive dogs. Um, they need a lot of, a lot of, you know, training and attention in order to be well socialized and or able to trust their handler. And you, as a handler, also need to know your dog really well and trust them to do the work that we do. So, that is a huge component um, of just the, the training and socialization process when we're um, looking to, to do the work or establish a program somewhere. And uh, you're, yeah, good that you pointed out that we are not hunting. We are not uh, using these dogs for hunting. We're not placing them with hunters uh, for that purpose. We are a conservation organization that's taking these dogs primitive. Uh, intelligence and applying it for conservation purposes. And so you touched on the fact that, you know, we're working these dogs almost exclusively on leash. And why I brought up the hunting component is that I think it's important for people to understand two things here. For one, not every Curling Bear dog is going to be a good uh, bear conservation or hunting dog. You need to figure out which ones have the best uh, working aptitude and then train them. And, uh, And the other thing that's important to mention here is that, a good, working, hunting Carolean bear dog off-leash on a bear is going to want to hold that bear for you. And simply put, uh, 99% of the time we want that bear to, to leave, to get out of this area. So turning the dog off-leash is not going to, um, you know, you're not going to get the outcome that you're looking for there. Right. Because the dogs are going to pay, typically takes, you know, two Carolean bear dogs to really effectively pay a brown bear. And there's a distinction here because black bear and cougar, Will go up a tree. If they have a tree available to them, they're going to climb. Dogs bay up the tree. Um, lots of dogs can actually do that. Hounds, and other uh, breeds of dog, but not many breeds of dog can bay a brown bear or a moose on the ground. And those, a brown bear is is it,
1: a brown bear is also known as a grizzly.
2: Also known as a grizzly bear. That's okay. Correct. Um. Here's here's you can think of it like this: grizzly bears live in the mountains. Brown bears live on the coast. It's, it's simply a, basically a lifestyle difference, um, with the exception, I guess, of northern Arctic and grizzly bears, which live on the coast but are called grizzly bears. Um, anyway, uh, okay. polar bears also don't don't tree, of course. There are the no trees up there. If anything, polar bears will jump into the ocean and swim. Um, so all this is to say that these dogs are special, different than other breeds of dog, and that they can bay uh, a brown bear safely effectively on the ground um, without getting themselves hurt you know do it in a way that that is effective um, we we've never over the past 24 years of doing this kind of work we've never had an injury to a dog to a bear or to one of our handlers we have a absolutely perfect safety record and part of that is because of the protocols and safety safety protocol that we have and, uh, you know, another part of that is just that uh, we we want to be effective. The uh, the goal here is not to get dogs chasing bears. It's to get the bear to learn, uh, to do the right thing. And that's how we approach every new scenario is, you know, what is the lesson? What do we want this bear to come out of this scenario? You know, what do we want them to learn from this conditioning scenario? I think you had also uh, brought up the concept of, of hazing, in the of conditioning and we should just, I think, kind of define those terms yeah. um, because those are important. Hazing, hazing typically refers to a, a fairly a circumstantial uh, training scenario that, uh, you know, is not long-term. There's not generally much of a message in there. It's just a opportunistic displacement of the bear, using a rubber bullet, say, on it, getting it out of somebody's backyard for the time being. Um, there's not really a whole lot of, uh, A lesson there for the bear. He decides to say that you know, I I lost ground to humans in that scenario. Um, But without you know follow-up training, it's uh, it's not going to be effective. It's um, fairly rudimentary, I guess, and incidental. Um, Whereas aversive conditioning refers to a far more structured uh, program that you develop around the animal in order to consistently and repeatedly. Um, mold its behavior and train it over time. And it's really important that we distinguish between these two because almost all of what you're going to see out there is hazing. The, uh, you know, folks will refer to it as aversive conditioning, uh, but they're not doing aversive conditioning. Because
1: aversive uh, conditioning you know, you takes time, yeah. right? Right.
2: It takes time and it takes resources, a long term uh, training that you're going to be uh, developing around this animal that's structured and has. Uh, lessons that are um, specifically designed for that animal and their behavior how you want to mold their behavior and you know hazing is just a a fairly incidental and just um you know temporary displacement or whatever it may be and so you know and, and it's not to say that hazing is is the wrong thing to be doing it's just that uh you'll probably continue to be hazing that bear for a long time if that's the only way you're approaching the problem. Um, right. Because there's no there's not much of a lesson to be learned for them, and that you're not doing it with any intention. Um, so,
1: so virtual conditioning let, is... Let, let's take yeah. an example yeah. here. There's a, a bear that's continually getting in, and then in our next section, we're going to get a lot more into attractants, the other side of this issue, which is the where the problem starts. But um, some of what you do includes both hazing and the long-term conditioning, and I think that's called a hard release of a bear in a community that you have had to trap, and mostly what people think of when Parks and Wildlife do this, they trap a bear, they take it someplace else, if there's another place for a bear to fit in the landscape, they release it, which isn't creating any lesson for the bear. He's just Gotten out there, or she has just gotten out there and in a new territory, which is difficult for them to deal with, and no lesson, long term behavior conditioning to say, Don't do this again that got you into this trap in the first place. So, it, there are times when you have had to trap a bear and you use the dogs, and then the long term conditioning takes place. And I think that's called what I said a hard release. and the dogs are there and they haze the bear with barking right and then you guys do a release and how does that work where do the dogs and the trainers come in from opening that trap and letting the bear go
2: sure so um we're talking about hard hard releases is the technique and that's a something that's been used for a long time now and uh you know ideally uh, the technique for hard release is to be trapping a bear in an area um, where you can then release it on site again. Uh, and so this is often privately on land or in a park area where there's room to do something like this and control over uh, members of the public in the area. Because as you can imagine, um, you don't want people around uh, when you're doing a hard release like this. And so that refers to yep, sitting out a culvert trap. And if you've ever seen one of these, they look kind of like a, a culvert <laughs> with, a, with uh, metal on one end and a door on the other. Bear goes in, door comes down, they're trapped in there. Now, this is often the beginning of one of our aversive conditioning programs because this bear is a you know a individual that's been um, destroying property or you know getting into trouble for whatever reason, and uh, you know at this point we are going to be cleaning up all the attractants in the area, making sure there's nothing there for this bear anymore, and then putting a radio collar on it or a GPS collar, somehow tagging it so we can identify it and uh, do follow-up work with it. And then on site, that's right, bringing the dogs in, having them bark at the back of the trap, uh, you, you know, yelling at the bear when it's ready to go, when it's recovered and uh, from the sedative and everything. And then when we're ready, opening that trap, letting that bear run out the front of it, Dogs are barking at it from behind the trap, and once, you know, this is generally black bears, and these are in areas where there's plenty of trees, and make sure the bear has good good sight lines forward. Once that bear reaches, you know, almost reaches cover, turning the dogs off leash so that they can then pursue the bear for the last little bit, and as the bear climbs the tree, the dogs reach the bottom of the tree and bark at it and, you know, bay it up the tree, and this is to give that bear a negative experience with that area and with the behavior that it was um, uh, exhibiting. And this can be effective in in some circumstances. You know, the on-site release is often kind of just the beginning of an aversive conditioning program. What well, we want that bear to know is that it's lost to us, you know from the from the beginning. And
1: uh, I think this is a term that you'd um, mentioned before boundary awareness. So once the dogs have corralled the bear and it's up a tree, is it at the point where the dogs are called off because now the bear is where you want it to be?
2: That's right. So at this point, you know, the, the dogs have chased the bear, the the bear has had this bad experience with us. You know, uh, we'll use rubber bullets too, or beanbags bags in some cases to keep it going, just put them on, on its butt at safe range. And, uh, you know, at this point now the bear has gone up the tree. It's, um, you know, it's had a bad, this bad experience with us. And, uh, you know, learn that people, um, you know, are not good things to be around, that they should maintain awareness of people. And,
1: um,
2: you know, boundary Boundary awareness is maybe not the right term because I wouldn't say that there's a boundary um, that a bear is going to learn how to avoid, but it is a, uh, you know, a reaction distance, an overt reaction distance okay. where the bear is going to look and say, you know, that's too close that person is too close to me i need to i need to put some space between me and these people bears do this with each other as well um you know they'll avoid the bigger bear uh to a certain space um if they consider that dangerously close and so we want that bear to understand that with people too and the dogs play a role in that and so do some of these aversive conditioning techniques um you know we the, the truth with hard releases is that it's pretty uncommon that you are actually able to do them on site where you trap that bear you can imagine if it was in downtown reno or um you know another highly populated area you would end up having to relocate that bear and hard release it um at the new site where you relocated it to. And, you know, the, the fact is there's not a whole lot of a message in there besides uh, about wariness towards people. And, you know, these places where you're relocating them to are often where that bear should be. There has been some success, I think, um, in doing that technique, maybe just in shifting a bear's behavior to nocturnal or to maintaining a little bit more space between themselves and people. Uh, but the on-site release is really... Um, the effective one when it comes to aversive conditioning and um, and, and then follow up you know aversive conditioning is then a follow-up thing you need to have a radio collar or an identifying marker on that bear so that then you can do follow-up training and address the issue that was that you know that was there oftentimes when also you relocate these bears away from where they were trapped whatever reason whatever uh, attractant was bringing that bear in to begin with um, when you relocate the bear people sometimes think well I can just continue doing what I was doing, uh, continue leaving my trash out, and, you know, the bear has been relocated, so the problem's gone away. Uh, we would prefer to bring home the point that, no, this bear is still around, and the attractants are the problem. And so if you don't get the attractants under control, get that bear-proof, get that electric fence around your apiary or chicken coop, or, you know, get a bear-proof container, uh, that bear's just going to be right back in your backyard again. Um, and if it's not that same bear that was just here, well, it's just going to be another one that's in the area that, um, is going to move into that space that we left open. So, uh, you know, as much as you can, I think, and, you know, this is something that we've always done and we always promote when it, when it comes to agencies and other folks that are doing this kind of work is focus on the attractants, managing, you know, working with the people there and, and hold them accountable to it. You know, if, if this is, uh, um, a human problem, if this is a, somebody not managing their track as well, well, you know, you killing or moving the bear is not going to solve that problem.
1: Well, I think I think you just highlighted a really important point. So what we're going to do is we're going to step away for a short little break, and then we're going to talk about what the base problem is and why it's about people. So stick with us, and we'll be right back.
0: stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
1: And welcome back. This is Ellie. You're listening to Our Wild World and my guest Nils Pedersen with the Wind River Bear Institute. So we have learned a whole lot about how the Institute works very differently, but in collaboration with agencies and people to remove the conflict and get bears to use their landscape versus coming into communities and where people are. So there's a lot of different situations that can happen that create bear conflict. And the biggest thread throughout our entire conversation has been the word attractants, people in communities and attractants. So the biggest problem underlying most human bear conflict is humans. And As you had said just at the end of our last section, there, that we have a hundred percent responsibility to take care of and remove attractants. If we don't want bears in our garbage, whether it's Reno or Tahoe or Aspen, Colorado, or um, a, a, a camp in the park, we have to do our part. So, let's talk a little bit about. Um, what attractants are and which is garbage mostly it's food it's human sources that we don't want the bears to get into we want them to use their natural resources and what a lot of people talk about is habituated bears or a bear's been food conditioned or conditioned and once they learn something they they keep it. They have good memory. As you had said earlier, they're very trainable. So they learn things very easily. What we're trying to do is, in essence, de-learn. And what we have to do is learn how to take care of our issues. So help us understand the difference between habituation and food conditioned.
2: Sure. So um, very different terms. And, uh important that we're getting these correct uh so habituation refers to a condition where uh, there's an extinction of response to a stimuli and that's often a neutral stimuli and what kind of what that means is that if a bear is really used to being around people used to hearing human voices traffic um and all that uh they just start to ignore it um there's no negative repercussions for being around people um even in some cases there's kind of some positives uh just being able to navigate the landscape, cross a road, um, get to a place that they want to be. So habituation just refers to, you know, the extinction of a response. Um, You can imagine I live in the countryside. Uh, I'm used to countryside noises. If I was to be in the city, I would notice the the traffic noises, the honking, the sirens, and all the noise. Um, Over time, I would become habituated to that noise. Um, And so it's an extinction of response. I would no longer notice that anymore. That's what a habituated bear is. Now, food-conditioned bear is very different. This is a bear that has a learned association between people and access to food. And that's, you're right, almost you know, 90% of the time, say a garbage and often be other sources of uh, attractants as well, though, like uh, apiaries, chicken coops, um, orchards, fruit trees berries. There's all kinds of attractants that you know. sometimes people cultivate on their property or are leaving out, like garbage and uh, other uh, food sources. And so food-conditioned bears are generally considered to be quite a bit more dangerous, um, not necessarily because they consider people to be food, <laughs> but they consider humans to have food around, or just simply put, they're foraging uh, around human-occupied areas. And You know, to add to that, whether they're dangerous or not, they're destroying property, they're breaking into people's trash cans, uh, ripping open people's sheds or chest freezers and doing other things that uh, lead to negative human bear interactions, and that's also a problem. So, you know, kind of the take-home message, habituated bears used to being around people, not the worst thing in the world, um, but it's good that they maintain a certain degree of wariness towards people because, you know, it's just uh, over time... Uh, humans and bears being in the same areas can be problematic. Uh, Food conditioned bears, quite a bit more of a concern. They're, you know, approaching people in some cases, uh, looking for handouts. They are uh, hanging out underneath your house, maybe, waiting for the garbage day when you're going to put your garbage out. Uh, Just more of a chance of there being a problem there. And so really important that we get those terms uh, well fleshed out. And, you know, you you are talking about the attractive problem. That's absolutely right. The, you know, the attractants are the issue. And what I think is important, though, is to, to understand that, you know, the dogs play a role in the attractant management as well because the dogs can uh, can be ambassadors for the animal kingdom and engage people in a way that is pretty unique. And, you know, for the, for the wildlife canines that we're training, you know, these dogs, uh, we refer to them as wildlife canine because they – uh, are not just scent detection dogs. They are scent detection, but also dogs that can be used to push. They can be used to move a bear, get them up and going, moose, cougar, whatever it is. There's just an enormous utility for the dogs, whether it's investigating wildlife-related crime, poaching, wildlife trafficking, uh, responding to mauling incidents, or, um, in, you know, cases where an animal's been hit on the highway, or or say there's a uh, animal caching Um food in areas you can find that food the dogs can be used to track you know the bear doesn't even need to be there in order for you as the handler to go in and track where the bear's been realize that yep it's coming up out of this draw underneath this barbed wire fence and getting into your hog feed here um here's a bear scat full of you know full of hog feed the dogs can be used to find these things and to proactively and preventatively control them um uh, manage the attractants, figure out what the travel corridors are, all that kind of stuff. We figure, you know, when it comes to the dogs, they have three real functions with us when we're working on the ground, and those are uh, detection, so using scent to detect and indicate on the presence, early warning, um, then backup manpower, we call them, and that, uh, you know, if you can push a grizzly bear with four rangers, say, on the ground, um, you can do it safely with two rangers, two dogs. So you can actually use less, uh, you know, less people, and bring the dogs in and still do the job safely and effectively. And then finally, the dogs function as a non-lethal last resort. So before you would consider using lethal force um, on an on an aggressive bear, you can turn the dog loose, and they will de-escalate the situation in a way that doesn't mean uh, having to kill that individual bear. And uh,
1: so in terms of being proactive in terms of being proactive what the Wind River Bear yeah. Institute can also do in terms of working with land managers you just said they can track corridors where be- where the bears are going and let's say it's not about human attractants but they understand the bear corridors so is it possible that they could be used as a tool in terms of where let's say a a county or a city is going to think of expanding and putting in a new development that we could work with the bears to maybe put that development in the best place rather than right across their corridors.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we often get the question, how, how effective are the dogs? What's the success rate? And, um, you know, the answer is, what are what are you trying to do? What's the goal? You know, what's the objective here? And how and the dogs, I guarantee you, can help you achieve that objective. It just depends on what it is that you're wanting to do. So in the case that you described there, yes. Uh, and this gets back to something that we were talking about earlier that I, I don't think I really touched on. But, you know, often the, the initial step here is what we call bear hazard assessment and then developing a bear conflict reduction plan. And so this means, you know, trained bear conflict specialists like the wildlife biologists that are at the Wind River Bear Institute are gonna go into this community, meet with local agency, and work with them to, you know, develop a, a map of, okay, where are the conflicts occurring? What's leading to these conflicts? Uh, okay, and in the circumstance you described, say we're looking at developing an area, well what's the best area to use you know oftentimes humans and bears like the same areas we like valley bottoms good habitat um and so how do we come up with a plan for development that's going to be sensitive to that issue in other words uh, you know how can we establish this campground in a place say where there's not going to be constantly bears traveling through this area in order to get to the best forage um so you know that's kind of the initial steps uh to to establishing a program is understanding what are the attractants, what bears are around, what kind of conflicts are occurring, and then developing that bear conflict reduction plan. How do we proactively and preventatively um, address these issues in a way that's not going to mean uh, a repeat cycle of destruction and inevitable bear sink population in this area? And, uh, you know, uh, that also, um, You know, many of the places where we've established programs means starting a bear dog program. Starting, you know, finding the right um, people in the area to handle these dogs, training them up on the techniques that we use, finding the right dogs to place with them. Uh, and then training them how to handle the dogs, how to use the techniques that we do, and then, uh, you know, basically empowering people locally to do the work, and then doing follow-up training, certification of their wildlife canine, inevitably, and, uh, you know, allowing them to make a difference in their community. We, you know, we want to develop the techniques and train the personnel, and then let people, uh, uh, do the work
1: locally. So I think it's important to mention here that you are not. Wood River Bear Institute is not federally or state funded. Um, what you said is you go into communities. You want to work with communities, but it's all donor funded or community funded. So there's there's um, the the stakeholders are the community.
2: Yeah, that, that's correct. We you know um, we operated as a non profit as a foundation for 24 years Um, we we were getting grants at that time and uh, bringing in a lot more private uh, donations to do the work that we do Uh, we've had to shift um, our business model but we still do rely heavily on um, you know donations but also um, uh, you know the the work the contract work that we do so at this time you know a lot of the work that we're doing is training training dogs producing dogs getting them with the right people, helping train the people, um, you know, whether they're agency or biologists or, um, you know, even just interns that are working with us or volunteers, um, even their conflict specialists, equipping them with the tools they need to to do their job more safely and effectively. And ultimately, you know, what we, what our mission has been for a long time is to reduce. This unnecessary human caused bear mortality, and well and you know teach your wildlife well. What we don't what we don't like to see is bears being baited into human occupied space, um, and then killed in response uh, to that. And you know that's a that's a problem that's really tragic because you know one thing you'll see uh, in the literature is that you know, every indication uh, shows that. You know, a young bear, the cub's foraging behavior is dependent on that of its mother. If its mom is teaching the the cub how to eat garbage, well, that's what that bear is going to continue to do for the rest of its life. Um, You know, it may shift to natural sources too, but it has a food-conditioned foraging behavior. And uh, if that mom never teaches that cub how to forage on garbage, just how to forage naturally, it's pretty unlikely that that bear is going to become food conditioned and so you know the real tragedy of it all is that as if we have still have attractants uh, available to these bears you're going to foster a new generation of food conditioned bears in your in your area and uh you know very likely that that bear is going to um you know be responsible for property destruction uh you know possibly even aggression towards people and will be removed will be legally um managed and uh you know, that's pretty sad when you think about it. What You know, what a better way of doing things would be, of course, is to get those attractants under control and start, you know, and establish a program that uses uh, best practices that we have today, which includes the use of wildlife canines non-lethal deterrence and non-lethal deterrents and you know, foster generations of bears that understand how to move and human-occupied space and on um, the human landscape. And uh, I think that's really necessary in places where, um, where we've essentially developed all the habitat, uh, and the bears are just having to figure out a way how to navigate our our developments. And uh, if we don't want to see bears being killed, um, we we need to start thinking about these things in a more holistic way. And that includes bear-proof containers. Electric fences, um, you know, just people and Karelian uh, bear dogs, and education, and, and bear dogs as uh, yeah as a part of that overall uh, of that overall program, and and you know I was ta- talking about the three functions that these dogs, three roles that they play. You know, the one that uh, is probably most important and um, has become a you know, really important to all the programs that we have out there is the education component. Um, the dogs are really, uh, engaging. They can help bring in funding for the program, uh, through promotional events. Um, you know, people can't, you can't necessarily feed and pet a bear, but you can pet and feed a bear dog and establish <laughs> a connection between bears and people in a way that may not otherwise exist. Uh, they are very engaging. They can help generate, um, Interest and funding for attractive management programs for bear proof containers, um you know they uh, to address the problem that do really important work
1: and so folks visit uh, www.beardogs.org Nils it's been fascinating talking with you I'm fascinated by the dogs and the projects that you do unfortunately we're out of time today but this has been a great conversation and a conversation starter and hopefully we can talk some more about some of the projects and uh, where you're working and folks Contact Karelian Bear Dogs, Wind River Bear Institute, or Nils Pedersen, or Carrie Hunt if you, in your area, are looking for a non-lethal solution to bear conflict. So, Nils, thank you so much for your time.
2: Thanks, Ellie. It's been a pleasure talking with you.
1: It's been great. It's been fascinating. So, folks, uh, why don't you step out into your wild world and clean up your attractants and keep bears alive.